Welcome to the LDS Mission Cast. To those of you who are new listeners to our show, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoy what this podcast has to offer as an education and inspiration for missionary work in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Each week we try to bring you interviews that can help you to be a better missionary or to help you feel inspired in missionary work. This week features an interview with Dusty Smith. Well, that may not be a name you immediately recognize, this is a story you won't want to miss. This story is filled with examples of the hand of God guiding our lives, and it's an amazing, extraordinary example of how simple acts of missionary work can have a profound impact on literally hundreds of thousands of people throughout the world. Each Thursday, we're also privileged to have Sean Rapier from the always entertaining Latter-day Lives podcast who records a special side interview with his guests on his podcast about their mission experiences or missionary-related experiences that can make you feel nostalgic for your own mission or just leave you feeling inspired. This week, Sean had an artist, Ryan Snar, who tells a story about the enduring relationships that can be created from serving a mission and how rich and fulfilling those relationships can be as they extend beyond the years of missionary service. Also, each episode we try to feature different music or different LDS musicians. This week we're showcasing a website and a service called musicformissionaries.net. This is brought to you by Heather Bouchard, who arranges and performs some great arrangements of the hymns on piano. She sends you firesides in your inbox each week. This is free to missionaries while they're on their mission. This is music and spiritual messages that are sent to you each week so that you can use these, I don't know, for your own inspiration, or you can share it with those being taught, or with wards where you serve. Anyway, check out musicformissionaries.net. Now, here is our interview with Dusty Smith. Our guest on this episode is someone that you probably haven't seen unless you follow the show on Facebook, High Five Live. His name is Dusty Smith, and he's uh, kind of turned into a little bit of an internet phenomenon in the Mormon world, and we'll get to talking about that in a little bit, but he was he's a litigation attorney who was originally from Texas and is now living here in the Salt Lake City area, so welcome, Dusty Smith, to LDS Mission Cast. Thank you. Thanks for being here, and so... Let's uh, introduce why you're even a guest. So High Five Live is this Facebook kind of based, I think they do it in other formats, but they invite people to come on and talk about gospel stories. So how did they come to know your story and approach you about it? In October of last year, uh, LDS Living Magazine did an article about me. Okay. And about, not about me as much as about the story. Right. The article, my gosh, it went, crazy. Uh, over 500,000 people saw the article, or it's been seen over 500,000 times. It actually ended up being the number six story of the year on on their website, and it only came out in October. Yeah, that's pretty good. I, yeah, it's been phenomenal, the response that, that the story has gotten. Somebody from High Five Live, I think Michael White, saw the story and contacted me to do a video Originally, I was kind of standoffish about the whole idea. Is it I, video, I, kind of the whole story? Well, it wasn't the video. What I just, since the story came out in LDS Living, I've had over a thousand emails and messages wow. of people asking me to do things or say things or just help them or just thanking me. And I've, I've responded to every single message and every single email. Wow. 
but I, I was so busy with that that I didn't know if I wanted to, and I didn't really know what the what the whole thing was about, what the website was about. I've had some people try to lure me into doing things that I thought would not be beneficial to the church to try to trap, you know, trap gotcha. me kind of thing. So I was real hesitant. Um, but Michael was persistent and I, I, you know, I respect persistence. <laughs> and he finally said, um, look, our average viewership is, you know, the number of average number of people that see a video, one of our videos is six to 10,000. So, you know, you have a chance to reach up to 10,000 people. Think about that. And I thought, well, okay, I'll, I'll go ahead and give it a shot. So I did. And <laughs> man, over 400,000 views. I mean, went from, you know, six to 10,000. I was happy with 400,000. I'm astounded. And that was back in January, I think, right? Yeah. yeah. So 400,000 people have heard you tell your story. Well, it's been seen 400,000 times. <laughs> That's fair. Okay. It's been shared over 7,000 times. The story is, and look, I'll be the first to admit that it's not me. Okay. I think that the story resonates. And I think that it's a story of hope. It's a story of love. So I think people relate to it or they want to relate to it. Well, there's very much the hand of the Lord in in your story, and it, it testifies of that over and over again. So let's get right into it. All right. So when were you first introduced to the church? I was 23. We don't need the year. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm an old man. I'll tell you, it was 1983. I wasn't quite 23. I turned 23 right after. I, mean, I was in July 23. That's when I turned 23, but this was in uh, in April of, of 83. I was actually visiting my folks and washing clothes because it was free. Trevor Ryan. Yeah. In my old bedroom is where I went to kind of hang out while I was washing clothes, and I had a bunch of Louis L'Amour Westerns. I was going to read one, and my mom had been to Salt Lake City on business up and had somebody had given her a Book of Mormon, I guess. And it was on that bookshelf, and, and the, it fell off the bookshelf as I was thumbing through books. So I sat down, and I kind of read it, opened it up, started reading it, Third Nephi, was intrigued. Actually called, opened the phone book. I had no idea what to call. You had two options. Yeah. Ward and Stake. Okay, I was, you know, I did not grow up LDS. Neither one of those meant anything to me, but right. it was lunchtime. I was hungry, so, so I called the steak. steak. Yeah. <laughs> nice. True story. And so somebody answered the phone. Turned out it was a stake president. He was he just happened to be there at lunchtime. He never is, he said, but he just happened to be there at lunchtime. Pretty crazy. Yeah, and ended up meeting with the missionaries and was baptized shortly thereafter. Okay, and this is 1983. I was I, I was a college graduate. Were you yet an attorney, a practicing attorney? No, no. I had just graduated college in '82. Okay, so I was 22. I, you know, I uh, I was I was working. But uh, I had not been to law school yet. Okay. But you knew that's where you were going in life. I knew that's what I wanted to do. I okay. had no idea for sure if I would at that point. When I was in high school, I read To Kill a Mockingbird. And okay. Atticus Finch was my hero. And I wanted to be an attorney. But I, I didn't know. There was so much involved with being an attorney, you know, going to law school, the cost of law school, et cetera, et cetera. I wasn't sure that I was going to, but I knew I, that was my dream. You're still in Texas now, and how long were you a member of the church until you kind of had these, I guess, rough patches where you, you kind of fell away? Well, actually, let's go back. Okay. Right after I joined the church, people would immediately start walking up to me and saying, you know, you need to serve a mission. 
and I would say— And you were 23. I was 23. I would say, <laughs> not going to happen. <laughs> okay, I'm a college graduate. I have a job. No, it's just not going to happen. Sure. They would say, okay, and then somebody else would come up a little, you know, a month or two later and say, you need to go on a mission. I would say, it's not going to happen. I'm not 19 years old. I'm not in the middle of college. I'm, I have a diploma. I have a job. But I was sitting in sacrament meeting one day in 84, and the impression just, oh my gosh, it was strong that I needed to serve a mission. So I sold my car. Wow. Sold everything that I could. I went on my mission. I was 24. Where did you get called to? Honduras. Okay. And, and interesting because everybody has their wishes where they, I guess, everybody has a wish where they'll yeah, go on they their mission. They think about it, yeah. You know, I had two qualifications in my wish list. <laughs> number one, I didn't want to be in the United States. I okay. wanted to go out of the country. And number two, I wanted to learn Spanish. Well, there you got it. And I got Honduras. <laughs> that works. It, it happened, yeah. So I'm curious then, you, you, go, you went on a mission, stayed the whole two years? 18 months back then. 18 months, you were in that time period, okay. And I noticed you walk in with an Army veteran hat on. Mm -hmm. Where does that come into play? I was in the Army. At what point? <laughs> okay, well, let's go back again. Even further, okay. Okay, so a little story about my mission, though. So I'm in the MTC. I'm 24 years old, surrounded by 19-year-olds. Right. Okay. You're the old guy. I am the old guy. And not having a good time. I felt like I was babysitting. These were kids that were out of the house for the first time, you know, and at night they'd be running up and down the halls. And I was 24. I'd been away from home. I, I, you know, had a job. My family did not really like the fact that I was a missionary. I mean, they weren't LDS. I was, I, I, I was converted. I lost a lot of friends and my family wasn't that tickled about it. <laughs> Uh, and they thought I was stupid to quit a job and go on a mission at my age. That's when a big like, sacrifice. When I wasn't going to get paid. Yeah. <clears throat> no, you had to pay for it. Yeah. And uh, I, I, was, I had a fiance at the time. She was LDS, but she was a little older than me even and did not want me didn't to be on a wait. mission. Yeah. So I'm sitting in the dorm one day at the MTC and I'm thinking, you know what? If nobody cares that I'm here, then I'm going home. So I walked up to the payphone. Called the church headquarters. <laughs> <laughs> some lady answers the phone, some receptionist. Yeah. This is in uh, the fall of 84. And I said, if nobody cares that I'm on a mission, I'm going home. She probably doesn't she know said, what to do with Would that. Would you hang on a second, sir? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I wait a couple of seconds, you know, it was a few seconds, and this deep voice comes on and says, Elder, if nobody else cares, I do. This is Elton Perry. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so we had this long chat on the phone. <laughs> wow. About my past, about how long I'd, I'd only been a member a year. Yeah. You know, about my family and everything. And and he said, if nobody else cares, I, I, I do. And in fact, uh, at the end of the conversation, he said, why don't we become pen pals? So pretty, during my mission- Pretty nice I, pen pal. It was a pretty amazing. Yeah. And after my mission, he invited me up to report on my mission. And I met him in his office back in 86. Wow. Uh, yeah. It was kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, but I served my mission in Honduras. Uh, even when I became anti-Mormon, if somebody asked me about my mission, I would say the best two years of my life. I thoroughly loved being a missionary. And going back when I was a kid, kid, young, young kid, I wanted to be a minister. Okay. That was just part of who you wanted to be. Yeah. And so this was me getting to do what I wanted to do. 
if I could have made a salary doing that, I'd still be in Honduras being a missionary. Okay. Okay. I loved it. Loved it. The feeling, the 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 joy of it, the the working, the feeling like I'm working for. Oh, and I had challenges, kidney stones, my parents divorced, my fiance left me, uh, migraines that came out of nowhere. I mean, it was just wow. challenge after challenge. But oh my gosh, did I love my mission? You know, it was just oh. I had a dream before my mission that I was going to get to baptize somebody in a river. And I told the dream to my mission president. Okay. And he said, not going to happen in Honduras. <laughs> too said, too we, dirty or what? No, we have fonts. Oh, okay. We all have chapels and the chapels have fonts. Second area, day of the baptism, water goes out. Guess uh. where I get to baptize somebody? <laughs> right in the river. In the river. Left my, after my mission ended. I went to law school. In my third year of law school. Where'd you go to law school? Thomas Cooley Law School in Michigan. Okay. We, I grew up very poor. We were in it. I grew in Trader House. Okay. And I was the first person in my family to ever go to college. I had to pay my own way. I worked 40-hour, 50-hour weeks and went to wow. college full-time. And in law school, I was going to have to do the same thing. Thomas Cooley Law School in Michigan was the only law school I could find that would let me work full-time. Really? It, law That's school a rule. Is, law school is strenuous. Okay. <laughs> it is strenuous. All right. And most law schools won't let you work at all your first year. Okay. Much less after that. But I worked 40-hour uh, weeks all three years. Brutal. Um, and drove an hour each way. And my, my, my first wife didn't speak English. I met her on my mission in Honduras. Did not drive, so I had to do all the grocery shopping, all the doctor's Ooh. visits. We had two kids during law school. I averaged three hours of sleep a night for three years. <laughs> it's quite a life, man. <laughs> In my third year, I went to Palmyra to uh, see the pageant yeah. and discover lots of anti-Mormons. They tend to camp outside those things. Yes, they do. And I debated them. And I came back from that experience wanting to be a smarter. I wanted okay. to. I wanted to be able to debate them better. And I came back and began to study history better, you know, Mormon history. And again, I'd only been a member for a short time. Right. And I didn't really learn all the history stuff growing up. Didn't have the primary and, and all None that. None of that. No seminary and all that. And I began to read things that I'd never been taught. And when I asked questions about it, I was told not to ask. This is 89. Don't ask questions. Just have faith. Don't ask questions. Until I finally lost my testimony sent a letter to the stake president and asked for my name to be taken off the church records. They responded by excommunicating me, mm. which is what they did back then. Right. They don't do that now, I don't think, but they did back then. And that irritated me a lot. And I became angry, bitter, and I, I thought I'd been lied to. And think about that. I, I gave up quite a bit to be LDS, sure. go on my mission, only to find out that it's false. I was deceived. And I became a very rabid anti-Mormon. Rabid meaning what? Meaning that I would go to churches and teach about the Mormon church against it. I would, I would write things against the Mormon church. If I saw missionaries, I'd stop and tell them how false their church was. Wow. Never uh, missed a chance. No. Gosh, no. No. After law school, I went into the Army. Uh, I was sworn in as a first lieutenant and an attorney on the same day. I'd already been accepted pending passing the bar exam. Uh, so when I passed the bar, went, got sworn in as an attorney in the courtroom, went into the chambers and was sworn in. Judge's chambers and had, a, had my stepdad, who um, is a former lieutenant colonel, swear me in as a first lieutenant. So I went into the Army 
I ran out of law school and served as a JAG officer. Okay. Um, and was anti-Mormon big time. Even in the army, that still oh. became even more oh, so. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh my gosh, yeah. Then I came back from I was my first duty station was Panama, and then I spent a year in Honduras. Uh oh. I went to all my places I served and tried to tell people that I baptized. I was wrong. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I was bad. <laughs> That's pretty brutal. I was, I was, and then I came back from the states. Uh, went to Fort Sill, Oklahoma. Then I went to Fort Hood, Texas. And uh, I discovered the internet and debate boards. And I joined debate boards and would tell Mormons how wrong they were. And I found a board called What Do Mormons Really Believe? Mm. And I joined it to tell them. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> and was not well liked on that board. I can imagine. No. Nowadays, gosh. you probably would have been booted right away. Oh, yeah. They were very patient with me. They did not boot me. But they didn't like me. And I became friends with one of the Mormons there. Over time, we were big-time debaters in the beginning and ended up becoming friends. Okay. And he began putting my name in the temple every week. Do we get to know who that is? Yeah. Mike Robertson okay. lives in Springville. I was in Texas, and he was in Utah. And we would debate and debate and debate and debate. And I was a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you can say that now, right? Oh, look, he would say something like, you know, we should get together and discuss this in person. I'd say, I'm meeting Zara Himla. Where's that again? Oh, jeez. <laughs> so it was snark, sarcasm oh, all over. My, yeah. When I was born, they, they injected me with that sarcasm gene. <laughs> and uh, I, I am quite the sarcastic person. But we became friends. And in about 2005, I stopped hating the church. But I was never going to be a member again. Why, why did you stop hating it? Was it because of him? I think partly. Okay. Um, Mike got me to, to remember my good times. Okay. Um, one thing about the LDS church that I admired and never felt in any other church, and I was very happily Catholic before I became LDS again, very happily Catholic, loved the Catholic church, never felt the camaraderie. Okay. You go to Catholic mass, you go home. You know, you don't really have Sunday school. You don't really have, you go to mass, you go home. My gosh, you, I make a phone call. Hey, Bishop, I got a water leak. I got 15 people at my house to help. So I missed that. But, and I began to read my mission journal. So I, I, I wasn't ever going to be LDS again, but I stopped hating it. Which two, is a big step. It's a huge step. In 2009, I had to go down to uh, Mexican border, Laredo, Texas. I had a client who had been deported and I needed his deposition. So we had an agreement with the immigration station there at Laredo that he would come in from the Mexican side, I'd come in from the American side, we'd meet in the conference room, do the deposition, then he'd go back, be escorted back to Mexico, I'd come back to Texas. I came back and had contracted swine flu. Just from that interaction? Yeah, swine flu was was, was big back then. Not what year was this? 2009. 2009, okay. People were dying from it. I came back home and I, I just got sicker and sicker and sicker. Literally thought I was going to die. And uh, I'm a disabled vet. I've had six knee surgeries because of an incident in Panama. And uh, I called the VA and I said, uh, I'm dying. And they said, what are your symptoms? <laughs> and I said, the symptoms you have when you're dying. <laughs> yeah, what are those? You know? <laughs> and I gave them the symptoms and they said, uh, you've been down to Mexico? And I said, yeah. And they said, don't come see us. They, I couldn't get a doctor to see me. People were that afraid of it. Wow. 
They didn't have any protocols even or anything like that. Uh, it was it kind of hit everybody by surprise. Okay. I think I think hundreds of thousands of people died from it worldwide. I think that year. I have to go back and check the records, but I think that's I think that's true. So uh, what what can you do at this point? You just sit in I your house and die, laying in bed dying. Seriously, I, I I even if I wasn't dead, I wanted to be. It was horrible. And two missionaries knocked on my door, and I was on up in my on my house on the second floor in the bedroom, and my son lets him in. Why he did that, I'll never know because. Oh. Does, did he know that you were still pretty against the church, or did he yes. even know anything about yes, the church? Yes, he knew. Okay, and but he and he knew I was sick. Why I would want company is you know. But they came upstairs, and they said, "You're sick." I said, "Great powers of observation." <laughs> yeah, good job. Sarcasm gene again. Yeah, and uh, I said, "Get out of my house." They said, "Can we give you a blessing?" I said, "We'll get you out of my house." <laughs> they said, "Yes." I said, "Then go ahead," and they gave me a blessing. And I was immediately healed. Immediately? Um, immediately. Fever went away. I could get out of bed, which I couldn't do before. Uh-huh. I stood up, felt great, walked him downstairs, said, don't ever come back to my house again. Probably not what they were thinking you were going to say. Nope. I'd love to read their mission journals <laughs> from that experience. Well, they, they got me thinking about maybe coming back to the church. And I, I even joined a board, a different board, and I just posted something called I'm torn mm. you know I love being Catholic but I'm torn and then I left the board I forgot even to be I forgot about being there completely uh, but didn't come back to the church in 2014 so five years later yeah five years later I joined that board again not remembering having been there before and I joined under the different name because you know I didn't use the same name I'm not even sure what the first name was but I joined and um, a girl begins to message me and she says, uh, she's LDS, and she messaged me one day, and she said, said I, I, I'd like to, I, I feel very, very, very drawn to you. Do you mind if we correspond? I said, it's fine with me, but I got to tell you, up front, I'm married. Yeah. Who knows on the other end of that email, right? She wrote, she wrote back, and she said, I'm 75, get over yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so we began to talk, and one day we, she said, well, can we talk on the phone? I said, sure. And so we talked on the phone, and I still only knew her by Garden Girl. That was her name on the board, Garden okay. Girl. And we talked on the phone, and she said, do you have any, any relatives in the church? And I said, I do not. At and this I said, point, are you married still to the lady that no, was from Honduras? No. Okay, so you'd had a divorce. I'd, I'd, we divorced, um, and I was married to my current wife, okay. Susan. So she, she said, any members in the church? And I said, no. Then I said, hang on, I, yeah, I've never met him. He may be dead for all I know, but I heard about him back when I was LDS, and his name is Dean Jesse. He's a big mucky muck in the church. He's actually still alive, by the way. But he's like the church historian emeritus. He's responsible for the Joseph Smith papers. Okay. Okay. I had never met him before. And I, and for all I knew, he was dead. Because I'd heard about him back when I was LDS, back in the 80s. Okay. And there was this long pause. And she said, Dean Jesse is your cousin? And I said, yes. And she said, Dean Jesse is my cousin. Hmm. So this person that was drawn to me was drawn to me because she's my cousin that I didn't know existed. I Very cool. I don't know her line of the family. But she was living where at the time? Or Oregon. She was living in Oregon. Still You're is. still in Texas? I was still in Texas. Okay. Yeah, she's from a different, she's from the same, when my, the ancestor came over the pond, Jesse, he had, gosh, eight or nine sons, and I'm from one of the sons, and she's from a different son. So okay. I didn't even know of her existence. Which is uh, poss- very possible. Yeah but she's my cousin. 
about that time, Susan, my wife, is told that um, there's a job opportunity, promotion, but she would have to move to Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Which is where I serve my mission, by the way. Really? Yeah. So we talked about it. And I, I said, well, Suze, if it's your dream, do it. We'll figure it out. We'll meet in Shreveport once a month and and hang out for a weekend. And so you were staying in Texas. I was going to stay. I, had, I was an attorney. I, was, I had a job. I had a house. Well, and the plan was that we kept thinking that that same level position would open up in Texas and she could make a lateral move. Got it. It's easier to go a lateral than promote, to turn the promotion down and get promoted later. Sure. So we said, take it. And when you, when the position opens in Texas, you can come back. So she did. She moved to Baton Rouge hmm. and we met once a month in Shreveport and she did her thing and I did my thing. And she was traveling all over the Southern, Southern coast from Texas to Florida. And I was doing my thing in the courtroom in Texas. In January of 15, she got advised that, that we're going to close that district. Mm. And that she was going to get released from the company. And then the next day, her vice president of the company called and said, don't sign anything. There's a position open in Baltimore. I want you to go to Baltimore. So put that in. It's about a two-week betting process, but stay in Baton Rouge. Don't move. Don't move back to Texas yet. Okay? Stay there until the betting process is over, and then we'll move you up to Baltimore. Okay. So I called Mike, my friend. Okay, yeah. I said, Mike, tell you what. I need you to pray for Susan to get this position in Baltimore. We need her to stay in the company. We'd like her to stay in the company. Could you do that? Mike said, absolutely. And I said, but I'll tell you something, Mike. If God really wants me to be LDS again, he'll send Susan to Salt Lake. Why would you say that? I was having fun with Mike. I okay, was, it so was a this joke. Was, this was all still the sarcasm. Gene it was my sarcasm through. because there was no position open in Salt Lake. And you knew that. I knew that. You know, and so I told Mike, but, you know, and Mike said, ha, 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 you're testing God again. I said, you know, if God really wants me to be LDS, that's what he'll do. <laughs> the next day, the person in Salt Lake retires. The next day, Susan's paperwork is transferred to Salt Lake with no betting. She's hired. Now, is she a member of the church? Nope. Is she Catholic? She is now, but she wasn't then. Okay. She okay. was Catholic with you? Baptist. Baptist. Oh, we were a Catholic Baptist. and a Baptist, wow. which was kind of interesting because, see, I grew up. As a kid, my dad left when I was really, really young, five years old, and uh, was raised by my mother, but my grandparents had a lot of input. My grandfather was Catholic, my grandmother was Baptist, and my mother was Lutheran. So I went to all three. Man, you had a, yeah, quite a diversity there. B- big time. But I like the fact that my grandfather was Catholic and my grandmother was Baptist. They were married for over 60 years. So I felt like with me being Catholic and Susan being Baptist, it was just kind of like them. Yeah. My grandfather was my hero. So... <laughs> Susan gets transferred to Salt Lake City. Yeah. So I called Mike. I said, you're not going to believe this, Mike. <laughs> but Susan's going to Salt Lake City. He said, you know what you told God? He said, Prove it. I said, I was just joking. <laughs> he said, God wasn't. So I hit my knees. I said, okay, Heavenly Father, let me be LDS again. Fine. But there's issues I've had for 26 years. Because I've been out of the church 26 years at this point. 26 years. You want me to LDS again, those have got to be resolved. And over the next several weeks, I'd wake up in the middle of the night with a new answer. Just out of cold revelation right there. Answers I'd never heard before. And I've heard all the apologetics over 26 years, trust me. I'd never heard these answers. Interesting. And I woke up one morning in March of 2015, and I had my testimony back. And so this is 2015, March. Mm-hmm. When do you get baptized? Had to have a church court. So I had a church court. I was kind of kind of funny. One of the one of the high priests says, 
how can you convince us that you're not going to hear something else negative about the church again and leave? I said, if you know something that I haven't used for the last 26 years against Mormons <laughs> that I haven't already heard, if something brand new anti you on, tell me, better tell me now because everything else I've already heard <laughs> and yeah. I've already used. Is this um, in Texas? Is this going on? Dallas, Texas, yeah. They approved. But even before that, while I was in that process from March, I got baptized in, in, um, in middle of April. In the middle of that, I come to visit Susan in Salt Lake. It was Easter weekend. Happened to be General Conference weekend. Yeah, they tend to go together. Happened to be General Conference. And I, but it was my firm gave Good Friday off. So oh, okay. it was a three-day weekend for me. So I could come and see her. I can't run because of my knee, but I walk five miles a day. I'm doing my walk. And the Lord says, this is home now. Salt Lake. I said, no, it's not. <laughs> I have a house in Texas. I have a job in Texas making a lot of money. No, it's not. The pressure came again. This is home now. I said, no, it's not. Job in Texas, a lot of money. House in Texas. And the impression came again. And I said, look, Susan doesn't want to live here. We're waiting for the position to open up in Texas, and she's going to come back home to Texas. I get back to the apartment, and I just said, hey, Susan, let me ask you a question, baby. What do you think about Salt Lake? And she says, I've been wondering how to bring it up to you. I don't want to leave. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I went, oh, gosh, no. <laughs> By the way... I don't care what map you use. You can use whatever map you choose. I use the 1830 United States map. Okay. Because Utah was part of Texas. <laughs> <laughs> so now you are home then. Yeah, I am. I tell my family that I'm in Northwest Texas. There you go. <laughs> but I go back home. I said, fine, I'll see about selling the house. Talk to a realtor. A realtor says, no, you're not going to sell the house. I said, why not? She said, you have too many foundational problems. It's an old, old house. Your, your wiring isn't all up to code. Even if you wanted to sell it, you'll have to put so much money into it that you'll never get what it's worth. I said, okay. I called Susan, says we can't sell it. We have to rent it, maybe, I don't know. So I get baptized. A week after I get baptized, I get a knock on my door. The guy says, I want to buy your house. I said, not for sale. He said, don't care, I want to buy it. <laughs> I, said, I said, I appreciate that more than you can possibly imagine. I appreciate that, but I, I can't. I can't afford to fix it to the condition it needs to be in to sell it to you. He said, nope, I'm going to buy it as is. I said, how much? He showed me. It was more than the house was worth. I called Susan. I said, you're not going to believe what happened, baby. I told her. And she said, man, when God wants you someplace, <laughs> he really <laughs> wants you someplace. That's right. About a year later, we're sitting in the apartment. I get a phone call. A guy says, I want to buy your house in Texas. I said, I sold it a year ago. He said, really? I said, pretty sure I was there. Yeah, I had to sign for it. So he looks and he says, huh, the guy that bought your house disappeared. Your house is in foreclosure. It's abandoned. Hmm. <laughs> so I'm, I quit my job. No job in Utah waiting for me. I quit my job making six figures and moved to Utah with no job, no house. Susan has an apartment. And uh, we began to live in Utah. And another little quick anecdote, I'm, we're down in Moab for our anniversary she wants to show me the Arches National Park. Yeah. I get a phone call in the hotel room. Lady says, young girl says, hey, you know, is this, is this Dusty? I said, yes. And she said, I see you've been on Mormon.org today and you want information on the church. What? I said, <laughs> no. And she said, the only way your name will pop up on my screen 
is if you've been on mormon.org and you requested information on the church. I said, be that as it may. That no. That did not happen. And she said, if you're a little embarrassed, I understand. But there's no way that I get your phone number. I just called you on your phone number. And I got it off room. my screen. And she said, so you had to have it. I said, ma'am, my computer is in Salt Lake City. I'm in Moab, Utah, in a hotel room. And she said, well, do you want information on the church? I said, let me tell you a story. <laughs> you told I, her the whole story. I tell her. She begins to cry. And she said, I'm at the MTC. They put me in here. I'm having a crisis of faith, and I'm thinking about going home. They put me in here to make these phone calls and to watch the board. Your name come up, and I called you. After talking with you, I'm going to go finish my mission. Wow. Yeah. A few months later, I get another phone call. Lady says, is this Dusty Smith? I said, yes, it is. She said, would you please hold for President Nukedorf? You have a very unique way of crossing paths with general <laughs> authorities. I said, okay. So I chatted with him. He wanted to use my story in general conference, and he did. In the priesthood session in 2016, October, he gave a talk about Almond Amulek, and he, he calls me David in the story, but he used, and he calls Mike Jacob, but he uses my story. And then LDS Living gets a copy of it, finds out about it, and they write it, they call me, they want to do a story. And since then, I've just been doing fire signs. Yeah. This year, I've done 25 fire signs in four different states. Uh, <laughs> it's just been phenomenal. One other will, little quick anecdote. So in February of 17, Susan and I go to gun show in Sandy at the expo. Yeah. And I want to buy a holster. I go up to a table, and there's a guy selling holsters at this table. And we begin to talk, and he says, you're from Texas. I said, yeah. He said, I own some property in Texas. I said, cool. He said, why are you in Utah? I said, let me tell you a story. <laughs> He said, that was you in that talk? And I said, yeah. He said, we chat for, chat for a minute? I said, sure. So Susan and I and this guy walk over to a quiet corner in the expo center. Another fellow follows us over. I tell my story. I get done, and he says, you're from Dallas? I said, yep. Oak Cliff? I said, yep. He said, in 2009, you had the swine flu. I gave you a blessing. Yeah. Turns out that he'd gone inactive after his mission before the— 2016 general conference in October is bishop said, I'm tired of your inactivity. Go see this, this session. Yeah. He hears this, the, that talk from president Nukdorf and it reactivates him, not realizing that the person that president Nukdorf was talking about was a guy it's that he gave a blessing name. to in 2009. It's just been a, a whole, and one more thing in, in November of 2016, uh, a month after the talk, president Nukdorf ordains me a high priest. And before the ordination in his office, he spends 30 minutes talking to my wife. And he says, I know you're not LDS, but bring what you have. We'll add to it. And he says, I know that Dusty wants to be sealed to you. We'll save a place for you in the temple. I used to tell Susan all the time, because I never pressed her to be LDS. But she was always very supportive. She always believed in God, always very supportive of me. She's a, my best friend and uh, always very supportive of me. And, but she was not going to be LDS. But she'd come to church with me. Okay. And she'd be active. You know, she would help with the f activities and stuff, but she was never going to be LDS. I would tell her, I'd say, baby, my patriarchal blessing says I get sealed in the temple. I'd like it to be with you, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> but he, he talks to her for about 30 minutes, and he's so kind. And he was so, the next day she says, I'm ready for the discussions. Right after talking to President Ugar. In, in September of last year, I, I baptized her into the church. 2017. I always worried about all the crap that I did wrong. 
you know, all the anti-stuff that I did, all the, and I was talking to President Uchtdorf when I met with him, and he says, do you have a, a testimony of the atonement? I said, that's a trick question. He said, why? I said, because I believe in it for you. I believe in it for everybody else, but I don't deserve it. I was very bad. I was anti-Mormon. I did my best to lead people away from the church. I you went back to your mission and tried to undo that. <laughs> it's pretty, pretty, pretty bad. <laughs> I said, I don't deserve the atonement. And he said, Dusty. And I looked up and he said, your sins are forgiven. Coolest thing. You have some very special moments. I get that a lot. And people say, I've had people say, you know what? I wish that, and I've prayed for one miracle to happen to me. They happen to you all the time. And I tell people, they happen to you too, the difference is I see them. I believe that, that what my story shows is that Heavenly Father is very, 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 very aware of each of us individually. Not globally, but individually aware of us and individually loves us as much as we love our own children like that, but only more. But, you know, you don't love one child more than the other. You love all your children equally. Sure. And incredibly. But okay, uniquely. Uniquely. And, and you say, I love you with all my heart. I love you with all my heart. And, and you mean it. And that's how he is with us. He loves us all individually. He knows us. He absolutely cares. And even when you give up on him, he never gives up on you. Even when you don't like him, he never stops loving you. Even when you turn your back, he doesn't. And he welcomes you home. He welcomes you home. That's the most amazing thing ever that as much as we say we believe in him, he more believes in us. And he never stops believing in the best of us. And that's what's so incredible about this is how deeply he loves each of us. Now, I, I, I want to ask, because now your, your wife is baptized. Yeah. You're, you're assuming in the year waiting process to yes. go to the temple and do yes. all that. And I'm sure President Uchtdorf or Elder Uchtdorf now is going to probably officiate at your Oh, wedding. I don't know. I'm not going to assume anything. No, I have I, not asked him. No, but the reality is, is this still does come back to, in a way, that Book of Mormon that you found. Yeah. That was given to your parents. Yeah. Your, your mother, I think you said. Yes. Do you, do you know where she got it? I don't know for sure. She was in Salt Lake. She worked for the Veterans Administration, and she was up uh, in Salt Lake at the VA Center, was here for a couple of days and went home. Somebody gave it to her. I don't know, maybe somebody that the VA. Maybe she took a tour of the Temple Square. You never know, right? Maybe she, I'm sure she probably, knowing my mother. <laughs> Is that something she, she probably done? And then told him how to arrange the furniture. Um, <laughs> but yeah, my, my mom probably, I'm sure, took a tour of Temple Square, and I'm sure that Somebody gave her a Book of Mormon, and she's never been LDS. Doubt she ever will be. But that one placement of a Book of Mormon, look what it's done. Tremendous. Yeah, you know, you, you just never know. Yeah. When, 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 the, when the prophet says, or one of the apostles say, hand them out, you never know. Whoever handed that book to her had no idea, number one, that she'd ever read it. But number two, that it would cause me to read it. I became a missionary, okay? Yeah. I baptized almost every weekend of my mission. Wow. Okay. So those people were affected by that one Book of Mormon. I came back to the church. President Nukdorf told me when he, when he ordained me that I was going to be a mouthpiece, that my story would be heard, that people would hear it, and it would be a message of hope. For 11 months, nothing happened. Then that article came out, 
the Hi-Fi video came out. The Three Mormon video came out. You take all those, just those, not to mention the firesides I've done sure. around. That story has been seen a million times. A million times that this story has been seen. And after this, it'll be a million and five. <laughs> or six. <laughs> Maybe six. I'm going to yeah. tell one person at least. <laughs> um, well, and then Cedar Fort is doing, doing a book. Doing a book. How much has your wife been impressed with your story? How, obviously, it wasn't she part of her converted. Convert. Well, <laughs> she did eventually. Yeah. You know, the thing about what was so cool about Susan, and again, she was raised— her mother is one of the finest people I've ever met in my life. I call her Ma. She is died in a wool Baptist, like my grandmother. So Susan was raised in a believing family, and she's never, in fact, she's my rock sometimes. I would say, baby, maybe we're not supposed to be here. Maybe I read it wrong because I can't get a job. And she'd say, the Lord's time is not your time. You know, have a little faith. She absolutely recognized the miracles. She was a part of them. And I will also say this, our ward, Rose Park 10th Ward, my gosh, is it an amazing ward. The people there were so loving, Mm. so giving, that all she could do was just feel that love. And so, yes, I think that President Uchtdorf was was the final cog in that. He convinced her. But she... She, when he, when he made that convincing argument, when he, that, when he, she felt that from him and felt his spirit, she was already on her way, I think. The seed had been planted before. The seed had been planted by just the people in our ward. She's there for 10 minutes when she moved into the ward and the bishop says, calls her and says, knocks at her door. Mike had already called him and told him that Susan oh, was going to be there. <laughs> he says, okay, I know your furniture is going to be late. We, I have people that can provide, you know, give you beds for now, you know, food. Wow. You know, she says, I'm, I'm good. Kind of scared her, you know. Yeah. She's never been around that kind of thing before. I said, baby, get used to it. You're, you're in a Mormon community. Yeah. Mike's a saint. Mike is amazing. He, he and I still... You know, we're still friends, and Mike is one of the finest people I've ever met in my life. We all have a part to play. We all have an influence, and your story definitely shows that sometimes even the most obscure, smallest acts can actually have a, a wonderful impact on people's lives. Mike was the first person to wore my testimony to. And I bet he loved it. He cried like a baby. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you again for telling us your story. Is there like a website or something that people can go to about your upcoming book even? Or uh, well, <laughs> Is it a long way off book. still? Well, I think the goal is to have it out by the end of the year. But look, they said, they, they, they said okay, if you write the book, uh, you'll get all the royalties if somebody else writes the book that we find for you uh, as a co-author. And they write the book, you'll get half the royalties. I said, since no one's going to buy the book, half of zero is zero. Somebody <laughs> else can write it. I have my Facebook, I have a public Facebook page, my my personal one. Then I have a public figure Facebook page, Dusty Smith. Okay. And it's got links to the High Five video, links to the LDS Living Magazine article, links to Elder Ruchdorf's talk, links to the Three Mormons video, that, that the interview that we did. Uh, and then I also, every now and again, will post a fireside that I'm doing. But yeah, when the book comes out, I'll be putting it there. And I also awesome. have to, I'm supposed to get a blog too, they tell me. Cedar Force, I got to get a blog. Yeah. I got to do blog. that. Yeah. Um, 
So, yeah. Well, awesome. We'll put links to that at the posting for this episode at LDSMissionCast.com. We'll try and condense those all down in, in one posting for, for our listeners as well. But thank you again for coming in and talking about it. I was so impressed when I saw the High Five Live thing the other day that I said, man, that's just a story that I, I – you did a good job. But I'm like, there's more to that story than what was told in I had 10, 10 minutes. minutes or something. Yeah. yeah. So I'm really grateful that you gave us the time to come in and tell your story. And thank you again for, for sharing your testimony so freely. Thank you for inviting me. And, you know, the Lord, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And the Lord, my gosh, so incredible the love he has for all of us. Absolutely. Thank you. Stories like Dusty Smith's only seem to come around every so often. For that matter, I hope that you're able to see the hand of the Lord guiding this work as a result of this story. Just that one placement of a Book of Mormon, that one stop by from a missionary to give him a blessing, and so many other things, really. Now, stories like that don't have to be fantastical in order for it to qualify as being inspired or inspiring or seeing the hand of the Lord. Sometimes it's in the small and simple things, uh, the relationships with others, where we're able to see the hand of God. Such is the story of Ryan Snar, who is our guest on the Latter-day Live segment with Sean Rapier. It's Sean Rapier again from the Latter-day Lives podcast, and my guest today is an incredibly talented singer and illustrator by the name of Ryan Snar, and he has got a great mission experience for us. Ryan? Thanks, Sean. Um, So I served my mission from 97 to 99. I was called to the Lima, Peru South Mission. Mm. Um, The members there were so incredible. And we lived in a house, and on the second floor of this house was where we had a, our what we call our pension. They uh, cooked our breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Yeah, it was a room um, that you rented, and they made yeah. food for you. And yeah. yeah, so we rented a room on the on the main yeah. floor, and then we walked upstairs. Getting to know this family, it was a stake president's family, actually, just a wonderful, wonderful family, the Valenzuelas. They had two little kids, Andrea and Roberto. And uh, I think at the time, they were probably four and five Anyway, the combination of having my friend um, in my district and having these uh, this wonderful family that I got to spend you know at least three hours a day with was great. And the great thing was is that these kids they didn't care that I spoke incorrectly mm. or funny or that I didn't know how to speak very well. They were learning Spanish just like I was. You know, I was envious yeah, of their skills sure. because they they seemed <laughs> to put it together so quickly. Yeah. Anyway, it was a great blessing, and I always thought of that family being this wonderful source of comfort and really just bringing me into their family is such a blessing. And when I left the country, I really thought, I'm never going to see these people again. I was fortunate at the very end, kind of the final day or two of my mission to kind of tour some of the areas where I had served. And so I was able to go and say goodbye. And uh, at that time, um, there was a third child that had been born in in the family. Her name was Pamela. I just didn't think that I'd see him again. Yeah. And, you know, you try to correspond through letters when you get home and that kind of fizzles for any number of reasons. And then this thing happens probably 2008, 2009. 
you know, I get involved in kind of social media and Facebook. Yeah. And at first it's just people that you know. Right. And then I realized, wait a minute, like there are people in Peru that are using this. And um, there was somebody that I was able to find. And as soon as I found that person, then it seemed like I found everybody, you know, awesome. all these great so people. Great. And so you're able to like send them a note and say, hey, like, thank you so much for everything that you did, you know, for me when I was there. And at the time... I was singing in the choir and it was so cool to be able to get feedback from them saying, we see you, you know, we, it's so good to see your face and How you're fun. looking, you're looking so thin now. Why aren't you fat? You know, like <laughs> they, they always tell me that I needed to be eating more. They were oh, always telling great. us that we needed to eat more. How anyway, fun. kind of the, the end of this story uh, and one of the greatest blessings, this same Andrea and her little sister, Pamela. I noticed on Facebook that they had taken their picture in Temple Square. And I thought, wait a minute, what the heck are they doing here in Utah? Like they yeah. live so far away. And so, you know, quickly I, I sent a message to, um, to their parents and I'm just trying to figure out like, did they just come? Like, did I miss them? And I find out, this was just a couple of months ago. I find out that they are here working at a ski resort for their wow. studies. And so I reach out and I'm just like, hey, you have to come over. You have got to come over and uh, have a family night and meet my kids and all this. And we were able to put that together. We went to awesome. pick them up. And there's something so special about yeah. that connection. That bond. And that bond and just coming back together and having a conversation. Mm. And at this point, it's them. They're speaking in English to me, you know? <laughs> and uh, it was so, it was That's just a amazing. special thing to have them back over to the house and to celebrate some really, really awesome things. The, the personal growth that I had experienced on my mission and then applied you know, in my own family and then to see them was so great. They came over and I had painted a picture of the Savior. I don't know if it was inspired necessarily while I was on my mission because I drew pictures in my scriptures and, and they were yeah. familiar with those. This, this print just needed somewhere to go. Mm. And uh, I was able to give that to them and just make sure that they had a piece of me literally back in their home in mm. Peru. And uh, gosh, it was such a, a sweet experience. They came to church with us. We did, you know, Peruvian food, just really special. It just really makes you just so grateful for, I mean, the gospel does so many yeah. things, right? But that's like icing on the top yeah. of the cake, you know? I can see it in your face and I can hear it in your voice when you talk about it, how just how special these people are. And those are the opportunities that a mission brings about. If you want to check out uh, Ryan's art, you can check him out at uh, Snarly Illustrations. Ryan's last name is Snar, S-N-A-R-R. So it's Snar, as in Snarly Illustrations uh, on Illustration, Instagram. Just singular. Oh, sorry. Snarly, Snarly Illustration yeah. on Instagram. Or you can go to snarlyillustration.blogspot.com. Uh, on behalf of LDS Mission Cast, I'm Sean Rapier. Thank you, Sean, Ryan Snar, and Dusty Smith. Also, a thank you to musicformissionaries.net for their musical contribution this week. Remember, this is free to all full-time missionaries so check it out and you know free music that's a pretty good deal it's like free podcasts each and every week like we hope you find these things to be an education and inspiration to you as well thank you for listening to the lds mission cast and we're glad that you join us each and every week 
New episodes are released every Thursday at ldsmissioncast.com. Until next time, this is Nick Galletti, thanking you for listening.